0: Notes: George Muller and the Secret of His Power in Prayer When God wishes to teach His church a truth that is not being understood or practiced, He mostly does so by raising some man to be in word and deed a living witness to its blessedness. And so God raised up George Muller and others in the nineteenth century to be His witnesses that He is indeed the hearer of prayer. I know of no way in which the principal truths of God's word about prayer can be more effectually illustrated and established than with a short review of his life and of what he tells of his prayer experiences. Muller was born in Prussia on September 27, 1805, and is thus now eighty years of age at this writing. His early life, even after entering the University of Halle as a theological student, was wicked in the extreme. But when just twenty years old, a friend took him to a prayer meeting one evening. He was deeply impressed, and soon after came to know the Saviour. Not long after, he began reading missionary papers, and in the course of time, he offered himself to the London Society for Promoting Christianity Amongst the Jews. He was accepted as a student, but soon found that he could not submit to the rules of the Society in all things because it left too little liberty for the leading of the Holy Spirit. The affiliation was dissolved in 1830 by mutual consent, and he became the pastor of a small congregation at Tainmouth. In 1832 he was led to Bristol, and as pastor of Bethesda Chapel he was led to the Orphan House and other works, where God has remarkably led him to trust His Word and experience how He fulfills that Word. A few excerpts about his spiritual life will prepare the way for what we wish to quote of his experiences in reference to prayer. In connection with this, I would mention that the Lord graciously gave me a measure of simplicity and of childlike disposition in spiritual things from the commencement of my divine life. While I was exceedingly ignorant of the Scriptures, and still from time to time overcome even by outward sins, yet I was enabled to carry most minute matters to the Lord in prayer. I have found, Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. 1 Timothy 4, eight. Though very weak and ignorant, yet I had, by the grace of God, some desire to benefit others, and he who so faithfully had once served Satan sought now to win souls for Christ. It was at Tainmouth that he learned how to use God's Word and trust the Holy Spirit as the teacher given by God to make that Word clear. He writes, God then began to show me that the Word of God alone is our standard of judgment in spiritual things, that it can be explained only by the Holy Spirit, and that in our day as well as in former times He is the teacher of His people. I had not experientially understood the office of the Holy Spirit before that time. My beginning to understand this latter point in particular had a great effect on me, for the Lord enabled me to put it to the test of experience by laying aside commentaries and most other books, and simply reading and studying the Word of God. The result of this was that the first evening I shut myself into my room to give myself to prayer and meditation over the Scriptures and I learned more in a few hours than I had done during a period of several months previously. But the particular difference was that I received real strength for my soul in doing this. I now began to test with the Scriptures the things that I had learned and seen, and I found that only those principles that stood the test were of real value. On obedience to the Word of God, he writes as follows, in connection with His being baptized, it had pleased God, in His abundant mercy, to bring my mind into such a state that I was willing to carry out whatever I should find in the Scriptures. I could say, "I will do His will," because of this, I believe that I saw which doctrine of God I would observe here. By the way, the passage to which I have just alluded, John seven seventeen, has been most remarkable for me on many doctrines and precepts of our most holy faith. For instance. Resist not with evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any one desires to sue thee at the law, and take away thy clothing, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asks of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, and pray for those who speak evil about you, and persecute you. Matthew 5.39-44. Sell what ye have, and give alms. Luke 12.33. Owe no one anything, but love one unto another. Romans 13.8. It may be said, surely these passages cannot be taken literally, for how then would the people of God be able to survive in the world? The state of mind of John 7.17 will cause such objections to vanish. If any anyone desires to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. I believe that whoever is willing to act out these commandments of the Lord literally will be led with me to see that taking them literally is the will of God. Those who do so will doubtless often be brought into difficulties which are hard to bear. These will have a tendency to make them feel that they are strangers and pilgrims here, that this world is not their home, and thus to throw them more upon God, who will assuredly help us through any difficulty into which we may be brought by seeking to act in obedience to His Word. This implicit surrender to God's Word led Muller to certain views and conduct in regard to money, which mightily influenced his future life. They had their root in the conviction that money was a divine stewardship, and that all money had to be received and dispensed in direct fellowship with God Himself. This led him to adopting the following four great rules. 1. Not to receive any fixed salary, both because in the collecting of it there was often much that was at variance with the free-will offering with which God's service is to be maintained, and in the receiving of it there was a danger of placing more dependence on human sources of income than on the living God Himself. Two, never to ask any human being for help, however great the need might be, but to make his wants known to the God who has promised to care for his servants and to hear their prayer. Three, to take the command to sell what ye have and give alms, literally, and never save up money, but spend all that God entrusted to him on God's poor for the work of his kingdom. And four, to take Romans 13.8, owe no one anything, literally, and never buy on credit or be in debt for anything but to trust God to provide. This manner of living was not easy at first. Muller testifies it was most blessed in bringing the soul to rest in God and drawing it into closer union with Him when he was inclined to backslide. For it will not do... It is not possible to live in sin and at the same time, by communion with God, to draw from heaven everything one needs for the present life. Not long after his settlement at Bristol, the Scriptural Knowledge Institution for Home and Abroad was established for aiding in day school, Sunday school, and mission and Bible work. From this institution, the Orphan House work, for which Mr. Muller is best known, became a branch. It was in 1834 that his heart was touched by the case of an orphan brought to Christ in one of the schools. This child had to go to a poorhouse, where his spiritual needs would not be cared for. Meeting shortly after, he writes, November 20, 1835, Today I have had it very much laid on my heart, no longer merely to think about the establishment of an orphan home, but actually to set about it, and I have been very much in prayer respecting it, in order to ascertain the Lord's mind. May God make it plain. And again, on November 25 of that year, he wrote I have been again much in prayer, yesterday and today, about the orphan home, and am more and more convinced that it is of God. May He in mercy guide me. The three chief reasons are 1. That God may be glorified if He is pleased to furnish me with the means, as it is seen that it is not a vain thing to trust Him, so the faith of His children may be strengthened. 2. The spiritual welfare of fatherless and motherless children, and 3. Their temporal welfare. After months of praying and waiting on God, a house was rented with room for thirty children, and in the course of time, three more houses were rented housing 120 children in all. The work was carried on in this way for ten years. The supplies for the needs of the orphans was asked and received of God alone. Often it was a time of sore need and much prayer, but it became a trial of faith more precious than gold unto praise and honor and glory of God. The Lord was preparing His servant for greater things. By His providence and His Holy Spirit Mr. Muller was led to desire and wait upon God until he received the sure promise of fifteen thousand pounds, British currency, from him for a home to house three hundred children. This first home was opened in 1849. In 1858, a second and a third home for nine hundred and fifty more orphans were opened, costing thirty-five thousand pounds, and in 1869 and 1870, a fourth and a fifth home For 850 more children, opened at an expense of fifty thousand pounds, making the total number of the orphans two thousand one hundred. In addition to this work, God has given him almost as much for other work, the support of schools and missions and Bible and tract circulation, as for the building of the orphan homes and the maintenance of the orphans. In all he has received from God, to be spent in his work during these fifty years, more than one million pounds sterling. How little he knew that when he gave up his little salary of thirty pounds a year, in obedience to the leading of God's Word and Holy Spirit, God was preparing to give him the reward for obedience and faith, and how wonderfully the Word was fulfilled to him, Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will set thee over many things. Matthew twenty-five twenty-three and these things have happened for an example to us. God calls us to be followers of George Muller even as he is of Christ. His God is our God. The same promises are for us. The same service of love and faith in which he labored is calling for us on every side. Let us study in our lessons the way God gave George Muller power as a man of prayer we shall find the most remarkable illustration of some of the lessons which we have been studying with the blessed Master in the Word. We shall have impressed upon us His first great lesson, that if we will come to Him in the way He has pointed out with definite petitions made known to us by the Spirit through the Word according to the will of God, we may most confidently believe that whatsoever we ask shall be done. Prayer and the Word of God We have more than once seen that God's listening to our voice depends upon our listening to His voice, lessons 22 and 23. We must not only have a special promise to plead when we make a special request, but also our whole life must be under the supremacy of the Word. The Word must be dwelling in us. The testimony of George Muller on this point is most instructive. He tells us how the discovery of the true place of the Word of God and the teaching of the Spirit was the commencement of a new era in his spiritual life. He writes, Now the scriptural way of reasoning would have been, God has condescended to become an author, and I am ignorant about that precious book which His Holy Spirit has caused to be written through the instrumentality of His servants. It contains what I ought to know, and the knowledge of what will lead me to true happiness. Therefore, I ought to read again and again this most precious book, this book of books, most earnestly, most prayerfully, and with much meditation. I ought to continue this practice all the days of my life, for I was aware that I knew scarcely anything of it because I only read it a little. But instead of acting and being led by my ignorance of the Word of God to study it more, my difficulty in understanding it and the little enjoyment I had in it, made me careless about reading it, for much prayerful reading of the Word gives not merely more knowledge, but also increases the delight we have in reading it. Thus, like many believers, for the first four years of my divine life, I practically preferred the works of uninspired men to the oracles of the living God. The consequence was that I remained a babe, both in knowledge and grace. In knowledge, I say, for all true knowledge must be derived by the Spirit from the Word. And as I neglected the Word, I was so ignorant for nearly four years that I did not clearly know even the fundamental points of our holy faith. And this lack of knowledge most sadly kept me back from walking steadily in the ways of God. For when it pleased the Lord in August 1829 to bring me to the Scriptures, my life and walk became very different and though ever since I have fallen short of what I might and ought to be, yet by the grace of God I have been enabled to live much nearer to Him than before. If any believers read or hear this who practically prefer other books to the holy Scriptures, and enjoy the writings of men much more than the Word of God, may they be warned by my loss. I shall consider this book to have been the means of doing much good, if through it some of His people no longer neglect the holy Scriptures, but give them that preference which they have given to the writings of men before. Before I leave this subject, I would only add that if the reader or listener understands very little of the Word of God, he ought to read it very often, for the Spirit explains the Word by the Word, and if he enjoys the reading of the Word little, that is the reason he should read it much, for the frequent reading of the Scriptures creates a delight in them. The more we read them, the more we desire to do so. Above all, he should seek to have it settled in his own mind that God alone, by his Spirit, can teach him, and therefore, as he asks God for blessings, it serves him to seek God's blessing prior to reading and while reading. He should have it, moreover, settled in his mind that although the Holy Spirit is the best and sufficient teacher, yet this teacher does not always teach immediately when we desire it. Therefore, we may have to entreat him again, and again, for the explanation of certain passages, but he will surely teach us at last, if indeed we are seeking for light prayerfully, patiently, and with a view to the glory of God. We find in Muller's journal frequent mention made of his spending two or three hours in prayer over the Word for the feeding of his spiritual life. As the fruit of this, when he had need of strength and encouragement in prayer, The individual promises were not many arguments from a book to be used with God, but living words which he heard the Father's living voice speak to him and which he could now bring to the Father in living faith. Prayer and the Will of God One of the greatest difficulties for young believers is to know how they can find out whether what they desire is according to God's will. I count it one of the most precious lessons God wants to teach through the experience of George Muller, that he is willing to make known things his Word says nothing directly about, that they are his will for us, and that we may ask them. The teaching of the Spirit, not without or against the Word, but as something above and beyond it, and in addition to it, without which we cannot see God's will, is the heritage of every believer. It is through the Word and the Word alone that the Spirit teaches applying the general principles or promises to our special need. And it is the Spirit and the Spirit alone who can make the Word a light on our path, whether it is the path of duty in our daily walk, or the path of faith in our approach to God. Let us try to notice in what childlike simplicity and teachableness it was that the discovery of God's will was made known to His servant. With regard to the building of the first home, and the assurance he had of its being God's will, Muller writes in May 1850, just after it had been opened, speaking of the great difficulties there were, and how little likely it appeared that they would be removed. But while the prospect before me would have been overwhelming had I looked at it naturally, I was never even for once permitted to question how it would end. For as from the beginning I was sure it was the will of God that I should build this large orphan home for Him so also from the beginning I was as certain that the whole would be finished, as if the home had been already filled. The way in which he found out what was God's will comes out with special clearness in his account of the building of the second home. I ask the listener to study with care the lesson the narrative conveys. December 5, 1850 Under these circumstances, I can only pray that the Lord in his tender mercy would not allow Satan to gain an advantage over me. By the grace of God, my heart says, Lord, if I could be sure that it is your will that I go forward in this matter, I would do so cheerfully. On the other hand, if I could know that these are vain, foolish, proud thoughts, and not from you, I would, by your grace, hate them and entirely put them aside. My hope is in God. He will help and teach me. Judging, however, from his former dealings with me, it would not be a strange thing to me, nor surprising, if he called me to labor still more in this way. The thoughts about enlarging the orphan work have not come from an abundance of money that has come in. I have had to wait upon God for about seven weeks, while little, very little comparatively, came in. About four times as much was going out as came in. If the Lord had not previously sent me large sums, we would have indeed been distressed. Lord, how can your servant know your will in this matter? Will you be pleased to teach him? December 11. During the last six days, since writing the above, I have been waiting upon God day after day, concerning this matter. It has generally been more or less on my heart all the day. When I have been awake at night, it has not been far from my thoughts yet all this has been without the least anxiety. I am perfectly calm and quiet respecting it. My soul would be rejoiced to go forward in this service, if I could be sure that the Lord would have me do so. For then, notwithstanding the numberless difficulties, all would be well, and His name would be magnified. On the other hand, if I were assured that the Lord would have me be satisfied with my present sphere of service, I would not pray about enlarging the work, and by his grace I could cheerfully do it without an effort. He has brought me into such a state of heart that I only desire to please him in this matter. Moreover, until now I have not spoken about this thing even to my beloved wife, the sharer of my joys, sorrows, and labours for more than twenty years. Nor is it likely that I shall do so for some time to come, for I prefer to wait on the Lord quietly, without discussing this subject, in order that I may be kept more easily by his blessing from being influenced by things from without. The burden of my prayer concerning this matter is that the Lord would not allow me to make a mistake, and that he would teach me to do his will. December twenty sixth. Fifteen days have elapsed since I wrote the preceding paragraph. Every day since then I have continued to pray about this matter with a good measure of earnestness by the help of God. There has scarcely been a time during these days when this matter has not been more or less before me in my waking hours. But this is all without even a shadow of anxiety. I converse with no one about it. Until now I have not even done so with my dear wife. I still refrain from this and deal with God alone about the matter in order that no outward influence and no outward anxiousness keep me from attaining a clear discovery of His will. I have the fullest and most peaceful assurance that He will clearly show me His will. This evening I have had again a special solemn season for prayer to seek to know the will of God. But while I continue to entreat and ask the Lord that He would not allow me to be deluded in this business, I may say I have scarcely any doubt remaining on my mind that I should go forward in this matter. As this, however, is one of the most momentous steps that I have ever taken, I judge that I cannot go about this matter with too much caution, prayerfulness, and deliberation. I am in no hurry about it. By God's grace, I could wait for years, if this was His will, before even taking one single step towards this thing, or even speaking to anyone about it. On the other hand, I would set to work to-morrow, if the Lord bid me to do so. This calmness of mind, this having no will of my own in the matter, this only wishing to please my heavenly Father in it, this seeking His and not my honor in it. This state of heart, I say, is the fullest assurance to me that my heart is not under a fleshly excitement, and if I am helped thus to go on, I shall know the will of God to the full. But while I write this, I cannot help but add, at the same time, that I do crave the honor and the glorious privilege to be more and more used by the Lord. I desire to be allowed to provide scriptural instruction for a thousand orphans, instead of doing so for three hundred. I desire to expound the Holy Scriptures regularly to a thousand orphans, instead of doing so for three hundred. I desire that it may be more abundantly manifested that God is still the hearer and answerer of prayer, and He is the living God now as He always was and ever will be when He simply answers my prayer to provide me with a house for 700 orphans and the means to support them. This last consideration is the most important point in my mind. The Lord's honor is the principal point with me in this whole matter, and because this is the case, if He would be more glorified by not going forward in this business, by His grace I would be perfectly content to give up all thoughts about another orphan house. Surely, in such a state of mind, obtained by the Holy Spirit, you, O oh my heavenly Father, will not allow your child to be mistaken, much less deluded. By the help of God, I shall continue further, day by day, to wait upon him in prayer concerning this thing, until he shall bid me to act. January 2, 1851. A week ago I wrote the preceding paragraph. During this week I have still been helped day by day, and more than once every day, to seek the guidance of the Lord about another orphan house. The burden of my prayer has still been that in His great mercy He would keep me from making a mistake. During the last week the book of Proverbs has come in the course of my Scripture reading, and my heart has been refreshed in reference to this subject by the following passages. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs three five six. By the grace of God, I do acknowledge the Lord in all my ways, and in this thing in particular, I have therefore the comfortable assurance that he will direct my paths concerning this part of my service, as to whether I shall be occupied in it or not. Furthermore, the perfection of the upright shall guide them. Proverbs eleven three. By the grace of God, I am upright in this business. My honest purpose is to get glory to God. Therefore, I expect to be guided correctly. Additionally, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Proverbs sixteen three. I do commit my works unto the Lord, and therefore expect that my thoughts will be established. My heart is more and more coming to a calm, quiet, and settled assurance. That the Lord will choose to use me further in the orphan work. Here, Lord, is your servant. Later, when he decided to build two additional houses, numbers four and five, he writes thus again Twelve days have passed since I wrote the last paragraph. Day by day, I have still been enabled to wait upon the Lord about enlarging the orphan work, and during the whole of this period, I have also been in perfect peace which is the result of seeking only the Lord's honor and the temporal and spiritual benefit of my fellow men. By His grace, I could put aside all thoughts about this whole affair without an effort, if I was assured that it is the will of God that I should do so. On the other hand, I would at once go forward, if He would have it be so. I have still kept this matter entirely to myself. Though it is now about seven weeks since day by day my mind has been more or less occupied with it, and since I have been praying daily about it, yet not one human being knows of it. I have not even mentioned it to my dear wife, in order that by quietly waiting upon God I might not be influenced by what might be said to me on the subject. This evening has been particularly set apart for prayer, asking the Lord once more not to allow me to be mistaken in this thing, and much less to be deluded by the devil. I have also sought to let all the reasons against building another orphan house and all the reasons for doing so pass before my mind. Now for the clearness and definiteness, write them down. Much, however, as the nine previous reasons weigh on me, yet they would not persuade me if it were not for one more. It is this, after having months to ponder the matter, and look at it in all its bearings and with all its difficulties, and then after much prayer, having been finally led to decide on this enlargement, my mind is at peace the child who has again and again asked his heavenly Father not to allow him to be deluded or make a mistake, is at peace, perfectly at peace, concerning this decision. He has the assurance that after much prayer during weeks and months, the decision is the leading of the Holy Spirit. He therefore purposes to go forward, believing that he will not be confounded, for he trusts in God. Many and great may be his difficulties, Thousands and ten thousands of prayers may have ascended to God before the full answer may be obtained, and much exercise of faith and patience may be required. But in the end it will again be seen that His servant who trusts in Him has not been disappointed. Prayer and the Glory of God We have sought more than once to enforce the truth, that while we ordinarily assume the reason for our prayers not being heard is that they are not according to the will of God, Scripture warns us to find the cause in ourselves, in our not being in the right state or not asking in the right spirit. The thing may be in full accordance with His will, but the asking, the spirit of the supplicant, might not be. Then we are not heard. As the great root of all sin is self and self-seeking, so there is nothing in our more spiritual desires that so effectively hinders God in answering as when we pray for our own pleasure or glory. To have power and prevail, prayer must ask for the glory of God, and man can only do this as he is living for God's glory. In George Muller, we have one of the most remarkable instances on record of God's Holy Spirit leading a man deliberately and systematically at the beginning of a course of prayer to make the glorifying of god his first and only objective let's ponder what he says and learn the lesson god would teach us through him constantly i had cases brought before me which proved that one of the things that the children of god needed in our day was to have their faith strengthened i longed therefore to have something to point my brethren to as a visible proof that our god and father is the same faithful god as ever he was He is as willing as ever to prove Himself to be the living God in our day as in former days to all those that put their trust in Him. Psalm 2.12. My spirit longed to be instrumental in strengthening their faith by giving them not only instances from the Word of God of His willingness and ability to help all who rely upon Him, but to also show them by proofs that He is the same in our day. I knew that the Word of God should be enough and it was by grace enough for me, but I still felt I should lend a helping hand to my brethren. I therefore judged myself bound to be the servant of the Church of Christ in the particular point that I had obtained mercy, namely in being able to take God at his word and rely upon it. The first objective of the work was and is still that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care Are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith, without any one being asked. In this way it may be seen that God is still faithful and still hears prayer. These last days I have again prayed much about the orphan house, and have frequently examined my heart that if it were at all my desire to establish it for the sake of gratifying myself, I might discover it. For as I desire only the Lord's glory, I shall be glad to be instructed through my brother if the matter is not of him. When I began the orphan work in 1835, my chief objective was the glory of God. I wanted to give a practical demonstration as to what could be accomplished simply through prayer and faith. This would benefit the church at large and lead a careless world to see the reality of the things of God by showing them that the living God is still the same living God as he was four thousand years ago this purpose of mine has been abundantly honored. Multitudes of sinners have been converted. Multitudes of the children of God in all parts of the world have benefited by this work, even as I had anticipated. But the larger the work has grown, the greater has been the blessing, given in the very way where I looked for blessing. The attention of hundreds of thousands has been drawn to the work, and many tens of thousands have come to see it all this leads me to desire to labor more and more in this way to bring greater glory to the name of the Lord. That He may be looked at, magnified, admired, trusted in, and relied on at all times is my goal in this service, and particularly in this intended enlargement. I am led to this further enlargement so it may be seen how much one poor man, simply by trusting in God, can bring about by prayer. I desire other children of God to be led to carry on the work of God in dependence upon Him, and be led increasingly to trust in Him in their individual positions and circumstances. Prayer and Trust in God I would be glad to mention other points from Mr. Muller's narrative, but one more must suffice. It is the lesson of firm and unwavering trust in God's promise as the secret of persevering prayer. If once we have, in submission to the teaching of the Spirit and the Word, believed God's promise, and believed that the Father has heard us, we must not allow ourselves to be shaken in our faith by any delay or unfavorable appearances. Muller writes, The full answer to my daily prayers was far from being realized, yet there was abundant encouragement granted by the Lord to continue in prayer but suppose far less had come in than was received, even after coming to the conclusion on scriptural grounds with much prayer and self-examination that I ought to go on without wavering in the exercise of faith and patience. All the children of God, when satisfied that anything they bring before God in prayer is according to His will, should continue in believing, expecting, persevering prayer until the blessing is granted. Likewise, I am now waiting upon God for certain blessings for which I have asked Him daily for ten years and six months, without missing one day. Still, the full answer is not yet given concerning the conversion of certain individuals, though in the meantime I have received many thousands of answers to prayer. I have also prayed daily without interruption for the conversion of some individuals for ten years, for others six or seven years, for others from two to three years. Still the answer is not yet granted concerning those persons, while in the meantime many thousands of my prayers have been answered, and souls converted for whom I had been praying. I lay particular stress on this for the benefit of those who may suppose that I need only to ask of God and receive at once, or that I might pray concerning anything, and the answer would surely come. One can only expect to obtain answers to prayers that are according to the mind of God. Even then, patience and faith may be exercised for many years, as mine are exercised, in the matter to which I have referred. Yet I am continuing in prayer daily and expecting the answer, so surely expecting the answer that I have often thanked God that He will give it, even though now for nineteen years faith and patience have thus been exercised. Be encouraged, dear Christians, with fresh earnestness to give yourselves to prayer if you can only be sure that you ask things which are for the glory of God. But the most remarkable point is this. The six pounds, six shillings, and six pennies that Scotland supplied me, as far as can be known, completes all the means necessary for fitting and promoting the new orphan house. For six years and eight months I have been asking the Lord daily to give me the needed funds for this enlargement of the orphan work. This was according to calculations made in the spring of 1861, and appeared to be about fifty thousand pounds. At a later period, it was found to be about fifty-eight thousand pounds. I have now received the total of this amount. I praise and magnify the Lord for putting this enlargement of the work into my heart and for giving me courage and faith for it. Above all, I praise Him for sustaining my faith day by day without wavering. When the last portion of the money was received i was no more assured about the whole thing than i was at the time i had not received one single donation towards this large sum i was at the beginning after discerning his mind through patient and heart-searching waiting upon god as fully assured that he would bring it about as if the two houses with their hundreds of orphans were already before me i make a few remarks here for the sake of young believers in connection with this subject one Be slow to take new steps in the Lord's service, in your business or in your families. Weigh everything well, weigh all in the light of the Holy Scriptures and in the fear of God. Two, seek to have no will of your own in order to determine the mind of God regarding any steps you propose taking, so you can honestly say you are willing to do the will of God if He will instruct you. And three, but when you have found out what the will of God is, seek His help. And seek it earnestly, perseveringly, patiently, believingly, expectantly, and you will surely, in his own time and way, obtain it. To suppose that we have difficulty only about money would be a mistake. There are hundreds of other wants and difficulties. It's a rare thing that a day occurs without some difficulty or some want, but often there are many difficulties and many wants to be met and overcome the same day all these are met by prayer and faith, our universal remedy. We have never been disappointed. Patient, persevering, believing prayer that is offered up to God in the name of the Lord Jesus has always brought the blessing sooner or later. By God's grace, I do not despair of obtaining any blessing, provided I can be sure it would be for any real good and for the glory of God.